0: So we have been doing this series, and we will be in this series for a while, this series called Be. Um, There's a lot of things going on with this series, but the big thing that we're uh, looking at and seeing through Jesus' teaching is that God has called us to be different. But the things that we have heard through media, influencers, everything that we get bombarded with on a daily basis because of social media, they have good ideas, but if they don't line up with Jesus' ideas, then they are always going to be subpar. They're always going to just come up short because Jesus has taught something that is so different. It's so countercultural. But if we step into these things and we become the people that God has called us to be, we're going to experience blessing and we're going to unlock the life that God has called us to. And the whole point of be is that it's not something that you do. To be really cliche, you're not human doings. You're human beings. And so the call is not to act a certain way, but to be different. And because you are different and out of your being comes different actions and different words and different attitudes. And so we've been kind of unpacking that for the last little while. Last week we looked at um, be righteous, Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth and as salt we are the preservatives because God has put righteousness in us and as our society decays because of sin and corruption and injustice our righteousness is the thing that preserves it slows the decay and so we are to have so we are to maintain righteousness we are to be righteous but not only are we the salt but we are the light that we are to have our good deeds seen not because we want to pat on the back but because we want God to be glorified because he has taught us a better way. He's given us such good instruction that we should be different. We should be righteous, and people should notice that we have something different going on inside of us. And after the last week, I realized that I forgot a little bit of a note on that whole uh, be the light, be seen, let your good deeds be seen by others. Because um, so much of what, when Jesus is talking, and it's not just Jesus it's the, old, it's the New Testament authors as they're writing at churches. They're not often writing to individuals. They're writing to the group. And I was thinking about this last week. It's one thing for the, our community to see us as individuals doing good and righteous things. But imagine what would happen if our community started to put together the fact that we as a church are committed to doing good things. That we as a church are committed to being righteous. Because generally speaking... And I'm making a really big generalization, so um, bear with me. Outside of our family groups and outside of those of us that work together, most of us really have no connection to one another outside of one church. And our community starts to put together hey, this person's acting this way, and this person's acting this way, and this, and, and, but they're, they're acting very similar. And eventually, they're going to draw the connection to the church. And it's not that the church gets the pat on the back, because that's not the goal. We don't want to be like, oh, good one church, you're doing so well. It's ultimately to give God the glory. And so when they start making those connections, it's not, hey, look at how good their church is. Hey, look how good their God is. Look at the teachings that are that their God is giving them through one church. Look at the teachings that they're giving. And and it starts to magnify God all the more, because we not only represent ourselves but we represent our church and we represent our God not in not just individually but collectively and as we continue to commit to doing good things we just have greater and greater impact the more of us that get involved so with that I said I warned you I threatened it I'm going to follow through with it uh who all did your good deed for the week oh good we had a few yeah Yeah, I know Dave did, because his good deed was to make sure I did my good deed. So we know that he did his good deed. Um, (coughs) I did mine, so anyways, that's all you need to know about that. Um, So, but we're going to continue on looking at this this idea of righteousness, and as we look at the scriptures that we're looking at this morning, I realize that righteousness is one of these things that doesn't get talked about a lot. One of the uh, one of the concerns is that the church of today, and I'm talking Big C Church, is actually watering down the gospel. And we don't talk about things like righteousness and sanctification and, and salvation because, A, they're big, scary words. We don't want to confuse people. But, but the standard of what is sin and the standard of what is acceptable in God's eyes, um, we, we, we're scared that if we hold the line too, too hard, we're going to scare people off. And, and that's not what God wants. God wants us to hold the line. And God wants us to understand what it means to be righteous, what it means to be the salt, what it means to be the light. And this thing that we can't attain on our own, but that God has placed within us because we've declared Jesus our Lord and Savior, and he's placed his spirit within us to be something that we couldn't be on our own. We really need to understand what that means so that we can really step into it and be these things that God has called us to be. And so we're talking about righteousness again this week, and... uh, (coughs) we're just taking it a step further I apologize eventually the frog will come out I will go back to my normal voice Um, I just need to not get excited and then I don't get croaky which uh, you all know that's hard for me okay so Matthew 5 starting at verse 17 here we go Jesus says don't misunderstand why I have come I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets no I came to accomplish their purpose I tell you the truth, that until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus makes a couple really big co- statements in this, and I want to start off by saying that these three verses, particularly the first two, are some of the most debated verses in all of Scripture. And I won't, I won't bore you, I won't get into all the details, because I don't want to cause unnecessary confusion. Uh, if you want to know more, I'm always available. You can come talk to me. Uh, I have office hours, so you can come see me, or you can just catch me after service, whichever you want. Um, these can be some of the most hotly debated verses, just because there's some things going on here that are confusing. What is Jesus saying? What does Matthew mean by this? Um... But anyways, there is a few things that I do need you to know about this, kind of this context. The first one is, there are some believers at the time, and when I say believers, I mean there's some Israelites, some Jews at the time, that believed that when the Messiah arrived, he was going to abolish the Old Testament, particularly the law of the Old Testament. That when when the Messiah would arrive, he would establish a new law, and that all the old teachings would be done away with, all the old law would be done away with, and that he would bring... This new law, and Jesus is starting off saying, "That's not what I'm coming to do. I'm not coming to do away with the old. I'm actually coming to fulfill it. I'm actually coming to, uh, there's a better word, um, bring new meaning to it. Almost, and and we'll unpack that a little bit more. But it, so that's where we're starting. There's some in the crowd that are starting to figure out that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're like what's the new teaching, what, what's the new law, we're excited, we're ready, let, let's get into it, Jesus is like, I didn't come to get rid of the law, I actually come to be the fulfillment of the law, I actually have come to keep it going, and to shine new light, and now over the next number of weeks, we're going to see how he does that, um, the other thing, law and prophets, uh, is when Jesus says that, he's referring to the entire Old Testament, um, if you look at your hands on a Hebrew Bible, which is just the Old Testament, you'll see that it is ordered differently than ours. Our Old Testament is broken up law, um, narrative, poetry, prophets, and then it goes major and minor prophets. Um, that's just the way that some of the older church leaders decided to arrange it. If you look at a Hebrew Old Testament, or Hebrew Bible, it goes law, which is the first five books written by Moses. Then it goes prophets. And what we would consider to be narrative, the The Jews considered to be prophets. So Samuel was a prophet. Joshua would have been seen as a prophet. Um, David would have been seen as a prophet. So law, prophet, and then the the last section would have been called the writings. And what the writings were, were the Psalms and Proverbs. And some of the minor prophets would have been found in there. Chronicles would have been considered part of the writings. So if you grab a Hebrew Bible and expect to be able to follow along what's going on, It would cause unnecessary confusion. Just stick to our Bible. Um, It's all good. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we're just looking at the law and the prophets and we're skipping major sections. He's actually referring to the entire Old Testament when he says this. Um, And the Old Testament as a whole, whether it's the law, the prophets, the writings, the poetry, all of it is prophetic, and all of it is pointing in one direction. And we need to understand this because... As we read the Old Testament, we start to realize that the vast majority of it is talking about Jesus. The Old Testament is setting the stage of why we needed Jesus and who Jesus was going to be. There's so many prophecies in the Old Testament. In fact, it's impossible. That the I heard, a stat, I heard a, an illustration. If you were to take um, eight, eight of the prophecies about Jesus... Um, The odds of all eight of them being accomplished in one person would be the same as taking silver dollars, covering the entire state of Texas, like three feet deep, coloring one of them red, blindfolding somebody, and saying, pick the right one. The entire state of Texas, three feet deep, there's one coin, and you don't even get to look. You're blindfolded and say, pick the right one. That's the odds of one person accomplishing even eight of the prophecies, and there's a lot more than eight that Jesus not only prophetic points to Jesus, but Jesus actually fully fulfills. So it's crazy, and the whole Old Testament is prophetic in this way. But what Jesus is saying is that the Old Testament will not pass away <coughs> until it has accomplished its purpose. So what is the purpose? Well, if it's prophetic, it means it's pointing ahead to something. And most of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus because he is the answer of the prophecy he is the one that they are pointing to but there are some prophecies in the old testament that have not come to pass and jesus says until they have all come to pass until we have seen everything fulfilled as it is written not a single word of it is going to pass away so that's one of the purposes of the old testament is that it's to point ahead to not only what things are happening but what is to come And there's some debate over how those are accomplished. Again, not getting into any of that. Um, But the other thing that the Old Testament does is it reveals the heart of God. And I love the fact that we ended on the song that we did. Because when we approach the Old Testament, we read the law, we read the prophets, and we read the narrative It's not about finding out the do's and don'ts. It's not about finding out what what the right thing to do and what the wrong thing to do is. What we discover as New Testament believers when we read the Old Testament, we start to see the things that God cares about. We start to realize that God cares about people. We start to realize that God cares about how we raise our family. We start to realize that God cares about how we act as a nation. We start to realize that God cares about these things and that even though some of the actual wording that we read in the law maybe doesn't apply to us, there's some eternal principles in here that reveal who God is, what he cares about, and what we need to continue to do. So it's not that the law is done away with and we don't need to read it. Actually, we do need to read it, not because we're trying to figure out the do's and don'ts of faith, but because we're trying to figure out who God is. And if the whole Old Testament points to Jesus, then we need to read it so that we understand who Jesus is because the New Testament goes, turns around and says we need to imitate Christ. Well, that's easy to say to those who saw him, heard him talk, saw his mannerism, saw the way that he did things. But for those of us who d- didn't see him, we don't, all we've got is what's here. So let's just read the whole thing. And figure out who this Jesus is what he cared about what he was teaching on so that we can in turn embody it and imitate it (coughs) there are other really interesting thing verse 19 whoever uh, you get back to where it was so if you ignore the least of the commandments this is a really interesting verse because of the discrepancy that I need to point out here. So on one hand, he's talking about those who ignore the least commandments. The commandments are kind of like the big overarching. There's commandments and there's laws. Whoever teaches the least of the commandments, whoever ignores them and teaches others to ignore them most well, th- they might get into eternity, but they're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. So it, to, to kind of visualize this, um, if you don't know, there, in the Old Testament, there's Ten commandments. And uh, it would be one of the commandments, it's like the 10th one, is do not covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't, don't covet your neighbor's. So it, to ignore the least of them and to teach others to do the same would be like me saying, you know what? Keep the nine. Coveting, eh, it's minor. Like, we all do it. It's, it's fine. Just, just you, know, you know, don't sweat it. That is awful teaching. This is a major, one of the top ten, the big ones, that God Almighty said, do not do these things. And some of us are listening, just heard that, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh. Don't covet. Why? Because the the Old Testament says don't covet. The New Testament says be content with what God has given you. Be content with what God has blessed you with, because all good things come from God. So don't covet. Don't be like, oh, I wish I had that Xbox. Oh, I wish I had that truck. Oh, I really like their motorhome. Oh, no, don't do it. Stay away from it. Paul talks about in when he's writing to the Corinthians, he said there, there's a hierarchy. And I think we, we've missed this when we talk about eternity. There's a hierarchy when we get to eternity And it's so often taught, it's like, you know, uh, we're we're all going to get in, it's going to be amazing, we're just going to be like, woo! Well, Paul talks about how the things that we do in this world are going to be tested. They're going to be tested with fire. And some of us are going to get in, and it's going to be like, we've got stored up our treasures like Jesus said, and we're going to, eternity is waiting, and it's going to be amazing. Paul says there's going to be some who come in, and they're going to smell like smoke. They got in, but it was close. They kind of got the they got the gate as it swung by to throw themselves in. And the challenge I think God wants for us this morning is that we need to, <laughs> and he gets it, where are you aiming? When you think about the kingdom, when you think about getting into eternity and getting into heaven, how, what are you aiming? Are you just aiming to, to just be good enough to get in? Are you gonna be one of those ones that are least in the kingdom? That you know, we, we look at the commandments and and you know, eh, some of them are are. Eh. I understand don't murder, I get that one. I understand don't steal, I get that one. I understand don't commit adultery, I get that one. But coveting, eh, seems pretty minor in my books. Is our approach willy-nilly, kind of eh, I'll, I'll do the best I can, and hopefully I get in. <coughs> But we're going to be on the other end of the spectrum where not only do we seek to keep the law, not only do we seek to honor God in all that we do, maintain our righteousness, as we've been talking about this whole time, but we're going to teach others to do the same. We're going to encourage others to stay faithful in this walk so that it's not just barely getting in, but that the gates are thrown open for us and that eternity is something that we're going to get in, we're going to enjoy. We don't smell anything like smoke. The only reason we smell like smoke is we got too close to our smoker that we've stored up in heaven and going to be enjoying some good food. We're going to have some good eats, and I've tasted smoked meat. It, it's in heaven, okay? I get it. It's going to be there. There's a hierarchy. So do you want to be great in heaven or you want to be the least in heaven? Do you want to get in and have your mansion full? Full of treasure and just be ready to experience all the goodness that God wants to pour out on you. This is the blessing that Jesus talks about. Those of you that are faithful and get persecuted and get lied to and get mocked about. and get Like, (coughs) you might miss out on some things on earth, but heaven's going to be awesome. Or you're going to live life to the max here, enjoy your little indulgences every once in a while, and just hope you get in. And my encouragement is to don't be the second one. Don't be the one that just barely gets in, but strip off everything that is contrary to God because righteousness is just that, doing what is right and good in sight of God. So strip off everything that doesn't fall in that category, maintain your righteousness, and get in with like, party time, let's get get to it. (coughs) And Jesus does something really interesting in the next verse. He said, So there's the least and the greatest. He says, oh, and by the way, this little tidbit. But I warn you. <laughs> oh, good. Love it when Jesus has warnings. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, Jesus. You want to run that one by me again? Imagine being the people that are listening to Jesus teach right now. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are supposed to be the epitome. They're supposed to be the example of righteousness. And Jesus just said, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you're not getting in. Everyone in the crowd would have been like, who's getting in then? Who's getting in? And those of you that have been in church and understand like, Jesus' big criticisms of the Pharisees and how you know, they're hypocrites and everything, I want you to put all that out of your mind. Because Jesus isn't talking about that right now. Jesus isn't talking about how they are, how they actually are. He's talking about their perception. And they, they are. It'd be like, and this is not an arrogant statement, okay? I want to just clarify that right out of the gate. It'd be like me saying, unless your righteousness surpasses mine. And I'm not saying that if you open the dictionary to righteousness, there's my picture. That is not what I'm saying, but to some degree, as the pastor and as the leader, I'm supposed to be kind of the standard of righteousness. And what Jesus is saying, unless you are more righteous than me, unless you are more faithful than me, you're not getting in. And what's your response? Well, if Matt's not getting in, who is? And that's what the followers were asking. Well, if the, right, if the Pharisees aren't getting in, Who is? And that was the point. Jesus wasn't talking about a righteousness that could be seen. He's not talking about a righteousness that could be built up because we act the right way and we say the right things. And we, It's not about that. It's a righteousness that God gives us. And only unless God gives us that righteousness and we guard that righteousness are we getting in because that's the only better one. One commentator said what the Pharisees did is they took the Old Testament law and they had did something called the Talmud. And the Talmud was basically their commentary of the Old Testament. Kind of filling in the gaps. I love the fact they thought there was gaps in God's law. Anyways, um, and some have said that because of the Talmud, because of the way they were teaching, it made the law unattainable. But this commentator said, actually, the, what the Pharisees had done is they didn't make it more unattainable. They actually watered it down. They actually made the law easier to attain. Why? Do you know what the standard of God's good, perfect law is? Perfect holiness. Perfection. Hands up. Who here has reached perfection? Thank you for not putting your hands up because I would have prayed for you later. Uh, and I'm just m- mocking. I'm not putting my hand up. I have not arrived. It was impossible. There's no way. Anybody in the Old Testament, there's no way any one of us is going to meet the expectation of God's law, which is why exactly why we needed Jesus. This is exactly why we need to believe in our heart and declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. He's our Savior. He is our Lord. Because without Jesus, it is impossible. You can't do enough good things. You can't say the right things. You can't be good enough. You need Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit working in you, refining you. And it is out of this righteousness that God creates in you and this exceptional different righteousness that he builds in you. It is out of that that we act different and we do things differently. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about putting on a facade. Because later on, as I already alluded to, that was the criticism of the leaders. They're put on an act not about acting it's not about pretending it's about being it's about being the righteousness the ho- holiness that is accomplished only because god rests within us and helps us be who we could not be on our own so your be statement this morning is not only just be righteous but be more righteous embrace it be who god has called you to be